It's the Blue Vote Cafe, a little bit wonkish, a whole lot of fun. I'm David Schellenberg. With me is Rachel Oyster. We, we are the co-chairs for Democrats Abroad in Canada's capital region here in Ottawa. Hello, Rachel. Hi, David. You've already got me laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's wonkish and fun. That's what we do. That's, 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 our, that's the whole point. <laughs> our guest today is Ense Ufat. I'm so thrilled to have her. I can't tell you. Ense was, um, I met her a number of years ago when she was here in Canada, but she has been driving this enormous project in Georgia called the New Georgia Project, and I can't wait to ask her about it. So welcome, Ense. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm excited. Like, the energy is fantastic. I can't wait to laugh with you all. (laughs) (laughs) That's the whole point. (laughs) But we should all be eating ice cream, I think, because we just learned you've just got went and bought ice cream. 100 degrees in Georgia. Like, it calls for ice cream. If there were ever a situation that called for ice cream, this is one of them. Absolutely. Sometimes in politics, it's like the only reliable thing is the ice cream. (laughs) Agreed. So, Ense, you were here in Canada. And why don't you tell us what you were doing here and then how you got lured to your, I think you grew up in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I was born in Nigeria and raised in Atlanta um, and after having um, you know pretty promising um, early career as a labor lawyer working with a number of American unions um, I ended up in Washington DC um, during Obama's first term um, <clears throat> as a lobbyist um, and uh, sort of a government relations professional um, on behalf of the American Association of University Professors. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I tease that uh, we're a fake union um, and part of it is just because when you think about um, professors and academics in general, they are often sort of incentivized for their individual contributions to a body of work or a body of knowledge. And so the whole point of unions is our collective responsibility that like we're stronger together. So like getting a bunch of people who are used to like their name being in headlights, their name being on the front of the paper and saying, Hey, we need to work together uh, around wages, et cetera was a challenge Um, (laughs) and it didn't change when I moved to the Canadian context. So uh, went to work for our sister organization um, known as CAUT, uh, the Canadian Association of University Teachers and moved to Ottawa to do pretty much the same thing. I was the deputy uh, executive director um, and worked in the collective bargaining department. Um, So yeah, Right, and we we celebrated Obama's reelection together here. We did <laughs> at you the know, Carlton Tavern. <laughs> wow, I know. So I was I was determined. I mean, I so, there's this like running joke, particularly among American progressives, like when a, a particularly horrible person gets elected or just something bad happens in politics or public policy, people always 
always threaten to move to Canada. <laughs> and like, and I, and I did. <laughs> I did, I did it. I did it. <laughs> but I did it all wrong. Like I left during uh, Obama's second term. Right. I know, um, I know. And so, um, and so one of the things I was determined was, you know, I wanted to make this my home. And if this was going to be my home, like I had made the sort of decisions that would make sure that I was fulfilled professionally. Um, and I was looking for my people, right? right like right, I right. was looking for my friend group, my friend circle, people who shared my values. I was looking for a political home. Um, and so I sought out Democrats abroad. Uh, yeah. And then when I heard that you met at the local pub, <laughs> the end. Absolutely, these are my people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was such an exciting time. So, but, why did you leave Canada and move back down yeah, to Georgia? Then now we have to get to the ah, gritty. Yeah. So my um, my mother uh, had some health issues, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, as I mentioned before, we are immigrants a couple times over. So I was born in Nigeria. Um, and so our sort of immediate family is very close knit. Um, and my mom, this was the third time that she had been diagnosed with cancer. Wow. Oh my. <clears throat> you know, it's funny cause now we have a saying in the family, don't tell me the odds because I was playing the odds. Like, man, this is the third time she's been diagnosed. She's going to have to have surgery and she's going to have to go through another round of chemo. Do people get three chances? Right. Do people get four chances? I got to go home. Um, and so, you know, packed up my things and what was supposed to be a temporary, uh, sort of stay until we, you know, I was able to meet her doctors and sort of understand what the prognosis was, um, ended up being actually a permanent move, um, back home, uh, to Atlanta. So surprisingly enough or not surprising but you know as 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 is she as she is known to do she beat it again (laughs) Um, and is in wonderful health and wonderful spirits back to judging me on my life and dating choices (laughs) so i mean as a mother should do exactly (laughs) so i i think we're good um And while I was here, um, it was a continuation of a conversation that actually started when I was living in Ottawa. A very good friend of mine, right after law school, um, we were young Dems together in Ohio, (laughs) um, and that's how we thought we were going to change the world. Um, and yep. not, it didn't exactly end up working out that way. Um, but her and her wife came to visit me over the summer in Ottawa. She's a school teacher. Um, and we hung out. We rode our bikes down to the Rideau Center. Oh, along the canal. <laughs> On the canal. Yeah. Um, we went to Parliament. Uh, and like I, you know, played host and we talked about you know, changing Georgia, changing the South, um, changing the U.S. and what that would mean and what our roles would be. And like, those are the kinds of conversations that we would have over, 
you know, cheap bottles of wine. Yes. As people in their 20s are known to do. And 30s and 40s. <laughs> and 30s and 40s, exactly. <laughs> um, but it led to something huge. But it did lead to something huge. So I came home um, and she introduced me to a state senator uh, mm-hmm. by the name of Stacey Abrams. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, state representative, um, Stacey Abrams. And I, the rest, as they say, is history. Um, she asked that Stacey and I get brunch together. Um, and me not knowing like the full weight of this woman's brilliance, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't have time. You know, I'm really just, no one really knows that I'm back home. I'm here taking care of my mom. Do I have time to meet with some state rep? Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, to which uh, she replied, of course you do. <laughs> you, like, you don't have a choice. You yeah. are. The two of you need to meet. End of story. Yeah. Um, we met. Um, Stacy laid out the idea for the New Georgia Project, right? So the idea at the time was that there were 1.2 million black and brown Georgians, so African-Americans, Latinos, um, and Asian-American Pacific Islander Georgians. Um, so Georgians of color, 1.2 million who were eligible to vote and completely unregistered. Amazing. Wow. Now, while that number is significant is because, you know, you start looking at top of the ticket races going back about a decade. So top of the ticket being United States president, um, United States Senate governor, um, that the difference between say the successful Republican and the losing Democrat, the vote difference was about 200 to 250,000 votes. Wow. And so (laughs) in a place it's, it's huge, but in a place like Georgia, that meant, that there were five times the number of people of color who were unregistered wow. than, what was, than what was required to swing any election in Georgia, wow. uh, right? And so mm-hmm. then you start thinking about what the possibilities are and you start digging into places like Alabama and Mississippi and yeah. Texas and you realize that these are really purple states, that these are really battleground states, but when you are in an environment, and this right. is me being very generous, by the way, yeah. but when you're, when you're in an environment where folks have to make sort of strategic decisions about where to invest your money when you're raising money for a campaign, registering black folks yeah. never seems to make it to the top of anyone's list. Right. Why? Right. Wow. Yeah. Right. And so that's when we got to work. (laughs) We found our mission. We found the intervention that we were going to make. And we almost gave America its first black woman governor uh, in the 240, what, six, 247 years uh, that this experiment has been going on this experiment in democracy. America's never had a black woman governor. Um, and we were very close in Georgia, but for that pesky voter suppression yep. and, uh, unaccountable media, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
Is yeah. Georgia unusual that that the the count is this off, or do you see this over and over and over over again in different parts of the United States? Oh, you see it over and over and over again. I think that, um, you know, particularly like during a partisan campaign, the idea is like we're going to take the list of voters. We're going to take a list of registered voters. We're going to take a list of super voters. Right. These are the people who vote in every election. Mm -hmm. And then we're just going to convince them to vote for our candidate. Yeah. GOTV at its basics. GOTV at its basics. Absolutely. But registering a new voter and then thinking about whether or not that new voter will actually be persuaded by your candidate and their platform. It just, it requires longer engagement. It requires more money, more resources. And again, it's um, candidate, like the standard typical, even progressive campaign um, isn't really interested in registering new voters. Hmm, interesting. Huh. And Georgia is not unique in those regard in that regard. Georgia's yeah. not unique at all. Well, and does your experience traveling around the world, I mean, in, in, here in Canada, the voters list just sort of happens automatically. You don't go register for the vote, you get given the vote and told where to vote. Is right. is the way the United States does it unique in the world or do a lot of countries have yeah. this system where you have to register? It's unique, right? Um, It's unique, and I think that it is very much tied to the the original fight for suffrage, right? The history of the United States is that the only people who were eligible to vote at the beginning of the democracy were white male property owners. So you couldn't even be like a poor white person or a poor white guy and vote. You had to be wealthy, white, and male. Mm-hmm. And so the, the story of the American democracy has been a continuous expansion of the electorate, right? A continuous expansion of the definition of citizen and who uh, is a citizen and who has the sort of benefit of the rights and responsibility of yeah. citizenship, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, August 18th, we are a little bit over 30 days away from celebrating the centennial of women's suffrage in America, right? So August 18th, 1920 is the the centennial anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which gave white women, I want to be very clear about that, the the right to vote. Right. Right. That it would take an additional 45 years of organizing to pass the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which then went ahead and secured the right to vote for Latinas and black women and native women, et cetera. And so the story of Georgia is much like the story of America, like constantly pushing against the boundaries of our definition of citizen and citizenship and who gets to benefit from them. But you've got the added factor in Georgia that it's it's going undergoing a transformation that the whole country is, but it seems to be on the leading edge, right? Agreed. I think that, you know, there's a lot that's been written and said about the sort of browning of America. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowhere is that transition happening as acutely and as rapidly as Georgia. Um, Georgia's going to be the first state in the deep south with a white minority. Um, so we're talking about four, five years tops 
uh, where there's going to be a plurality. So there won't be any majority. It'll be African-Americans, Latinos, Asian-Americans uh, and white Americans sort of <laughs> in equal parts. Right. Diversity uh, will be the majority. <laughs> very different yes. um, from what we've experienced and what we've seen. Um, and um but what I want to point out, though, is that I don't I'm not one of those people that believes that demographics automatically equal destiny. Right. Mm-hmm. So like the fact that there's going to be this multiracial, multilingual, multiethnic majority in a place like Georgia, I don't think that that automatically means that we're going to see the expansion of Medicare and Medicaid, Um, even though these are the communities that have been pushing for it. I don't think that there's going to be an automatic uh, increase in the minimum wage. Um, I think that it will still require organizing Mm -hmm. um, because the forces that we are up against are not just racist. They're also classist, right? And Mm -hmm. there's also misogyny. Right. Mm -hmm. And also there's anti-immigrant hostility. Uh, And so a lot of these forces intersect to sort of weave this net that has held Southern families, working class families back. Um, And so, you know, as we're training organizers, we're often pointing out that we have a common opponent. Right. That if you are a feminist organizer and an immigrant rights organizer, that if you continue to dig, the uh, our opposing forces are often the same individuals or the same interests, hmm. right? right? Which is why um, just being a majority people of color state is not going to get the goods that we have to continue to organize. We have to continue to build power. We have to build across race, across class, um, that we are really stronger together. And that's not just rhetoric that like, that mm-hmm. is how we are going to win. Mm-hmm. Cause there's almost sounds like there's two parts to what you're trying to do. Part one is get everybody the ability to vote and then part two is have the discussion about, okay, who are you going to vote for? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, and that's what's important, right? When you think about a place like Georgia, um, you know, <clears throat> so uh, all Democrats are not created equal. I'll no. Say that. <laughs> no. And, and historically, Democrats have, have changed over time, too. The Democrat Party 100 years ago is very different than it is today. Right. 1,000%. And so, you know... Dixiecrats is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I've never heard that term before. Oh, you oh, haven't, David. No. You need to read more American history. Yes. Well. <laughs> Dixiecrats are definitely a real thing. Um, Southern Democrats um, who for um, even sort of after the switch, after the transition, um, were not Republicans, but were still very much committed to upholding the tenets of white supremacy. Um, And so um, in a lot of ways, um, Southern Democrats, uh, particularly the ones of the Dixiecrat variety, are indistinguishable from today's sort of extreme right wing of the Republican Party. And they're still there, are they? They are. They are um, 
transitioning yeah. to ancestors, as <laughs> as my mother would say, <laughs> or, or or dying. <laughs> if you want to be, <laughs> be more blunt, <laughs> I know. okay, I didn't get it. I had to, I was still decoding what that meant, and now I got it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, oh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to sound sort of like I'm celebrating <laughs> their their death. No. Uh, but so many but of them are dying. Yeah. And no, and their ideology is also dying. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so. And it is true. It's subscribed to more by older people for sure. <laughs> but also like the idea that like there's not so even in the sort of big tent rhetoric of the big tent Democratic Party, um, that there's less and less and less room for racists. Yeah. Uh, right. And so I think that as people start to sort of dis- adopt um, sort of anti-racist language, anti-racist sort of organizing ethic. Um, th- yeah. yeah. The idea that like there's a party for you over there, but it's not the Democratic Party. Right. Um, again, it's not universal let's be clear Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but i find as just observing that there's less and less and less room for that kind of democratic politics um in today's democratic party sure yeah i think i think we're seeing that too and for sure outside the country Right. Among Democrats abroad, it's very clear. So 2018, yeah. I think we all we all saw the story yeah. in Georgia. Stacey Abrams and uh, Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams lost. But what you we haven't heard is... name, David. Well, <laughs> I don't... See, names don't frighten me. No, I know. Um, right. But so we all... I think we all heard the story quite clearly in 2018. But what we haven't heard is what's happened in the past two years. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for us, we have the New Georgia Project. We've continued to register people to vote. Right. Um, I mean, because the truth of the matter is that, you know, remember we talked about for the past 10 years, the vote difference between the successful Republican and the losing Democrat in the state of Georgia Mm -hmm. for the governor's race was about 250,000 votes. Yeah. Right. And it had been consistent for almost for over a decade. Wow. Stacey Abrams race brought that number down to 55,000. Wow. Um, <laughs> and when you think about the 200,000 voters of color that were purged from the voter rolls, yes. when you think about uh, the 40,000 people that were registered to vote for the 2018 election who were never added on to the voter rolls until huh. after the election, oh, it boy. becomes easy to see how she makes a credible argument that she actually won. Yeah. Sure. Right? You purge a quarter of a million people of color off of the voter rolls and then she still came within 55,000 votes of winning. Um, Yeah. That was only the beginning of the problems. You had the long lineups and the lack of power cords and the machines that didn't work and and didn't she herself arrive at the poll and and she was told she'd already voted? Yes. (laughs) Just insanity. Yeah. (laughs) Insanity. Insanity. And here's the thing. And 
as the secretary of state, you know, again, and not in coordination with the campaign at all, like completely independent of the gubernatorial race. You know, we were raising questions like, how can this be? Right. Because, I mean, the thing is, we register a lot of young people. And so young people were coming to us and saying, how is it that the secretary of state, the person that's responsible for counting the votes mm-hmm. and ensuring the integrity of the election? How is it that he also gets to be the candidate the at candidate. the top of the ticket? That <laughs> yeah. doesn't make sense. And the truth of the matter is there's nothing in the Georgia Constitution that prevent, that prohibits it from happening. Right. And so and we would try to get the media to cover it. But people were much more interested in the horse race. Well, yeah. what does this mean? So what what that meant is that. It wasn't until October, a few weeks before the actual election, that the media started to cover it. Will it have an impact on the results of the election? <laughs> is, is Kemp going to operate with integrity? Um, well, like, what happens if it goes to a runoff? Oh, right? what's going to happen? These are, oh, like the hand wringing, right? Oh, and it's so disingenuous because I've literally been beating down their doors for 18 months yeah. trying to raise the flag or raise mm-hmm. alarms about this mm-hmm. being a problem. Yeah. Well, it's like right. so many things we discovered at, we've discovered at the federal level that a lot of our systems have been set up to be inhabited by people of honor. And when you put people who are not people of honor in those positions, a lot of things fall apart that weren't meant to. Agreed. Agreed. So what's happened yeah. with all those hundreds of thousands of names in the past two years? Are they... We've had to re-register them, many of them to vote. Okay. Um, and we're doing that work now. Uh, to date, we have helped uh, just under half a million young Georgians and people of color register to vote. Um, so very proud of that work. That work continues. Um, and we're working to get a new governor. Yes. <laughs> and we're working to get a new secretary of state. I mean, ultimately, like, that's what it is. Because the lack of accountability, like the outrage uh, feels to come from very sort of limited parts of our democracy, sort of Mm -hmm. limited parts of our society. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that we're continuing to talk about this, people try to discredit the work uh, or discredit the criticism by saying that it's sour grapes, right? By saying that she's a sore loser. Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry. I was just going to say that's just the easy and lazy way to... To Absolutely. characterize something you're not paying attention to. <laughs> when, but when the truth of the matter is that our democracy is under attack. Sure. That they have literally written the blueprint um, for how secretaries of state and governors in other states can do the same thing. Right. That they have written the blueprint for Trump. Uh, and how one can and how he can go about um, to steal the election in 2020. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, again, uh, and then try to paint critics who are talking about the attacks on democracy as just partisan actors. Right. Right. So as we move towards now the, the federal election, what have you learned in Georgia that you need to teach us in a federal election? Every 
votes <laughs> every election. Right. Uh, I think it mm-hmm. is the thing that I, I want to make sure that people know and understand. I think that there people think of things as like on cycle and off cycle, right? Then like Mm -hmm. if you vote in the presidential election, you're doing your duty, like you're doing your democratic duty. And the truth of the matter is that all of these elections matter, right? That when, that if people understood that voting in the secretary of state election in, you know, 20, uh, 2010, Mm -hmm. Um, when Kemp was elected, if they knew that it would mean that, you know, we would not have to fight with a governor today Mm -hmm. who many people are arguing is trying to kill us by refusing to, uh, by suing cities in the state of Georgia because of the mask mandate, right? So real quick story, the people of Atlanta, (laughs) the city of Atlanta, the mayor of Atlanta, the mayor of Savannah, the mayor of Albany, Georgia, all these towns across the state of Georgia have decided you're going to be out in public as a public um, health and safety thing. We're going to require you to wear masks when you're outside in public. Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, is now suing those small mayors, big town, big towns, small towns. He's suing them uh, and saying that they have overstepped their mandate hmm. by passing these mask ordinances oh now and so again if people do people i don't know if people realize that like again electing him secretary of state would allow him to cheat and become governor which would put us in a situation where we're in the middle of a global pandemic right. mm-hmm. uh, and he is doing all of the things that uh one would argue are trying to kill us mm-hmm Period. Um, so that's one of the things that I learned. Every every voter, every election, yeah. they all matter. Never um, let second, up. Never let up. No, not. I mean, that the work of democracy, it's all of our work. Right. And like some people may run for office. Some people may volunteer on campaigns. But like the role of citizen um, is the most important sort of piece of this puzzle. And it's literally all of our jobs. It's mm-hmm. all of our work. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, like, that's the one thing I learned. The second thing is that vote by mail um, is a proper and, like, legitimate way to participate <laughs> yes. in our elections. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> and I feel like that's something that Democrats abroad, Democrats abroad know and know very well. Right. For sure. Um, and we are experiencing quite the culture shift uh, here in the U.S. Like we are preparing to launch a campaign for um, older African-Americans who are very concerned about, you know, whether or not their vote is going to count. If they vote um, by, they, by mail, if, you they, mean. If, they, if they vote by mail, because they yeah. never voted in that way. No, of course not. No. And the importance of going to the poll and standing up and, and doing it. Yeah, I can totally see taking that away from them might feel like, yeah, there's, but there's something about those those voting machines that I just always find kind of weird, like actually making an X on a piece of paper somehow still feels like the right way to do it. Right. I no, I agree. Uh, but, you know, I'm also trying to organize my mother yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, and others 
to think that way, yeah. right? That, um, but, and part of it is because of the legacy and the history of voter suppression, right? So there's this new thing. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Are they telling us the truth? Are they being honest? Mm-hmm. Who's in this, you know, who's in this back room? Who's gonna, mm-hmm. um, you know, who's going is my vote going to be counted? Are they just going to throw it away? Like, I think that there's a feeling that when you pull the lever in person, that it's going somewhere and it counts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but I think that in a responsible way, what we are talking about is options and sharing with people that they have options, that there are tons of ways for them to vote, there's tons of ways for them to participate. I think that's one of the things that uh, I have learned over the past couple of years is that we have options. We need to make sure that people know that they have options, that part of the role of activists and party leaders uh, is to sort of bring people in to create on-ramps for folks to participate. Um, I often say that everyone needs a political home. Um, Like, and, and I, that I subscribe to the gospel choir theory of organizing. (laughs) Um, And, and, and basically what that means is, you know, gospel choirs can hold these really powerful notes for a really long time because everyone has their note. And when an individual vocalist needs to drop out to catch their breath, Yep. Or to move home to take care of a sick mother, that the work continues. Oh. Right. And that when you and then when you can, you hop right back in and then the work the note continues. Yes. Um and so <clears throat> For those of us, again, who are party leaders, those of us who are heads of organizations, those of us who are, you know, neighborhood leaders, et cetera, the idea is at its core, what, how do you create on ramps? Like, how are you bringing in new people to participate? And how are you sort of demystifying the process and helping people understand how to get involved? Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful way to think of it. Mm-hmm. So what can those of us living outside the country do to help? Well, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we are trying to mobilize the vote where we live, but is there something we can do to help you where you are? Well, I mean, listen, (laughs) to use another Southern uh, saying, uh, (laughs) Southern church uh, traditional saying, your time, your talent or your treasure. Right. Yeah, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> I lived in Virginia for a while. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I mean, and so everyone might not have all three, right, to spare for the movement or for mm-hmm. whatever our effort is, but you have one, mm-hmm. right? So your time, your talent, or your treasure, what is it that you can spare? What is it that you can contribute to the change that you want to see? So you lived in Virginia, I think. Mm-hmm. In addition to there being a presidential race, right? There's also um, a wild, wild changes that have been happening in the Virginia state legislature. Oh, I know. Um, I've been following it, <laughs> right? And so, like, you know, if your if your talent is 
you know, witty statuses on social media, <laughs> right? Like as a part of, you know, voter education and letting the all the Virginia expats who live in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, like that there are real changes <laughs> that yeah. are afoot. And you have $5 to contribute to these awesome dynamic candidates mm-hmm. who are changing the face of the deep south. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, it's what, you know, everyone, <laughs> I'm from Atlanta. <laughs> I'm going to quote Martin Luther King. Like you, sh- you should know this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do it, do it. <laughs> and one of the things that he says is that um, everyone can lead because everyone can serve. Right. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, what is it, what is it that you have that you are able to spare towards a cause, a candidate, a geography that matters to you? Yeah. Do you and think do that? Do you think that living outside of Georgia and outside the United States change your perspective on how these things can be run? 1,000%. Okay. I think that it is one, absolutely. Wow. Um, I think that being a young activist, like super precocious teenager who wanted to volunteer on campaigns and Mm -hmm. like sit in the room while the adults made the decision, that gave me a very narrow perspective about what was possible um, with politics that like you had to kiss the ring that, <laughs> that that you know in order to be sort of well respected you had to in the south at least be a faith leader in most places be a man <laughs> right like in in most places be a wealthy lawyer um in order to be um seen as a credible candidate and living and seeing how oh that you have to spend an extraordinary amount of money right. in order to mount a campaign mm-hmm. that your campaign has to be for two years uh, like these are things that if you don't understand politics outside of an American context that you think that these are just givens right, right? when I saw the prime minister election and it happened in like six months Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> right? And so yep. you mean there's not 18 months of ads and the parties bashing each other while the networks are just raking in the cash for your cheesy commercials, right? Like that there's not, you know, stumping yep. all across the country. Um yeah, I think that li- moving and living outside of the U.S. definitely gave me an opportunity to see how things can be done differently. Right. Wonderful. Uh, and, and you consider yourself a bit of a geek, I hear. I mean, let's be clear. It, I did when it wasn't cool. Like, <laughs> That's the right? geekiest kind of geek. <laughs> this wasn't, like, this isn't some, like, new millennium. Like, this is how geek is the new cool, nerd is the new cool. Like, I was a painfully nerdy <laughs> immigrant girl (laughs) in the 80s and 90s (laughs) in the American South. Right. Uh, We, I mean, 
single mom, kind of poor, actually very poor. Uh, and so when the television went out, like it just broke. Then that was the end of television. We just didn't have a TV for years, yeah. um, which was fine with me because my friends were my books anyway. Right, right. <laughs> now my brother, my brothers had a much more difficult time. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, yeah. So yes, and I, you know, I ended up going to. Um, Georgia Tech, which is an engineering school. I went to a math and science high school. Right. Um, so, uh, yes. <laughs> so how? So where this is going is how does your knowledge of technology impact your knowledge of politics? Ah, so uh, thanks for asking that. <laughs> um, uh, I, I'll say this. Um, I am, I think I apply the scientific method to everything, right? So I'm questioning, I'm hypothesizing, we're doing research, we're testing our hypotheses, we're reporting on our results. Looking at evidence. And looking at evidence, absolutely. (laughs) And bringing people into the process, right? So we don't pretend to have all the answers. We don't put ourselves out as sort of experts in any of these things. But what we do believe is in a sort of a, 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 a culture of exploration, right? Of trying to figure it out. So what it also means is that when Georgia um, and it's and our new Secretary of State decided to purchase thirty thousand new voting machines yeah. that were as glitchy and as vulnerable as the machines that we currently had uh, oh, that we voted boy. on in twenty eighteen, that we raised the alarm. that we let people know that we brought in experts um that we showed how so we i mean we so it was because of our work that we demonstrated the need for new machines right so the machines that georgians voted on in 2018 were run on windows 2000 software (laughs) microsoft no longer provided support for windows 2000 no not in 2018 they did not not in 2018 so that also meant that the voting machines in georgia were old enough to vote themselves (laughs) (laughs) but nobody registered them (laughs) (laughs) exactly um and so you know i mean again it doesn't mean that i can get in there and tinker and like fix the machine and make it unhackable what it does mean is that i was able to go onto the onto youtube and in five in five minutes find uh teenagers who were hacking into machines that were similar to the ones that georgia voters were voting Ah, on in 2018 right wow wow well and and when you were talking earlier about like hundreds of thousands of votes tracking all of that is some pretty powerful computer processing power too yes um, it is, and I love it. So we have a data director, um, and we have some data engineers on our staff. Yeah. We are hiring digital organizers, um, partially because we can't have the sort of face-to-face conversations yes. that we want to have. And so the organizing that we need to do in this moment, most of it has to happen online. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we manage and manipulate millions and millions and millions of 
records of voter data, which is why I am uh, insane and aggressive <laughs> about data hygiene and data security yeah. in our organization. Um, I mean, most of the, look, we don't have anything, we don't handle any data that's not public record, no. right? The voter file is a public record in Georgia. Everyone who's a registered voter, that's public information, etc. So we don't have, you know, access to people's private information, but main, but, but yeah. we care about, we don't see them as just, you know, ones and zeros. Like these are people. Right. Mm-hmm. These are Georgians who have registered to vote because they want to participate in our democracy because they want to use their voice to make our world a better place. And so we treat that with respect and with the respect and like reverence that they deserve. That's wonderful. I just have one last question. And uh, <laughs> sort of as a fangirl, can you tell us one little story about Stacey Abrams? <laughs> I've been following her for a long time and I just. <laughs> oh, okay. So did you know that she's a Trekkie? No. I, that yeah. makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and like a legit one too. So awesome. I, again, mentioned growing up poor, no television. So we definitely didn't have time for the movies or money for the movies. So like the Star Wars versus Star Trek debate, I think one day I like tried to casually like insert myself <laughs> in the debate and like to be contrarian was like, yeah, Star Wars is way better than Star Trek. <laughs> Not knowing a lick about either franchise, mind you. <laughs> but you're a geek. How can you not know this? <laughs> because they I, they weren't books. Uh, <laughs> right? They weren't books. I, they, I didn't go to the movies and we didn't have a television. Right. <laughs> so like my, it had to be, if it, it wasn't at the library, then I didn't have access to it. <laughs> um, but like she embarrassed me. <laughs> and she knew which one you would really be defending if you'd had the opportunity to get to know them trolling completely unsuccessful (laughs) (laughs) completely unsuccessful i mean you know she's also written like a dozen books uh, that that she um pens or used to pen romance novels like the beach reads that you get in the supermarket checkout aisle <laughs> under what? the names selena montgomery yep. really <laughs> yeah yeah so this also while being a tax attorney and it's amazing <laughs> yeah while being a tax attorney and um you know a consultant and all of these other things she also found a couple of hours in a day to write like a dozen trashy romance novels that <laughs> people al- along all across the world <laughs> attribute their summer downtime to. Yep. That is incredible. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> and then so. she found like an afternoon to run for governor. <laughs> right. It was like, you know, <laughs> Let's let me let me Google the requirements really quickly so I can fit it in. <laughs> so awesome. no, she really is um, sort of a gift. Uh, but I think the thing that I am sort of most impressed by or most grateful for is that, like her, her 
like the genius that she is, like she is very clear about the work of democracy and that is everybody's work. And so she's really committed to helping people figure out like what their role is, like how Mm -hmm. they get in the game Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to, you know, uh, trying to position herself as sort of a messianic figure, mm-hmm. right? Like the only, I am the only person that's standing between us and an uh, you know an autocratic yeah. government. I am yeah. the only. I'm the last. I'm democracy's last stance. Like that's just not her orientation. No, 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 at no. all. No, um, that's... and so super grateful for her. Yeah, and well, her leadership in that way. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to witness wonderful things for her in the future. Same. Same yeah. <laughs> so is there anything else that you would want to say that we haven't addressed? Um, request your ballots as soon as they are available. Um, mm-hmm. I think that in the state of Georgia for vote by mail, Mm-hmm. Um, they start getting mailed on September 15th. Right. And so people think that election day is November 3rd, but I, I would argue that election day is September 15th mm-hmm. in the state of Georgia. And so do not procrastinate. Especially if you're mailing it back. Yeah. Especially if you're mailing it back. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're mailing it back from outside the country. (laughs) Exactly. And particularly with all of the attacks on um, the the postal service Mm -hmm. uh, by this current administration. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, vote it right away. All right. Sounds like you're working on supper. <laughs> Could you tell? Yeah, put something in the microwave. <laughs> we should let you go. We should let you go have your vacation. <laughs> Thank you. Well, this was lovely. This was so much fun. Thank you oh, for inviting me to for chat. Us too. Thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate. It. And thank you so much for your work. It's it's really been amazing to watch it, and such a treat to get to hear a little bit of the inside story from you. I'm happy to do it. And maybe we'll do this again uh, when we are either consoling one another or, <laughs> or celebrating. Let's, let's the- <laughs> vote for celebrating and, and do it either way. Yes. <laughs> and, right. and, and say, Ufat, you have a home here with me in Canada anytime you want it. <laughs> oh, thank you. And your mom. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> and your mom. Uh, oh, and the puppies. <laughs> they will love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for spending some of your holiday with us. For and, sure. Um, I'm Rachel Oyster with David Schellenberg in Ottawa, Canada. Democrats abroad, the Blue Vote Cafe. 